Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. I'm your host again today, Charles Cheek, and we're very excited about today's show and and the guests we have with us, uh, Chris House, and we're going to be talking about uh, the subject of worship and uh, race and the Christian worship experience in a multicultural church. And uh, one of the taglines we have here is their colorblind worship experience. We're happy to have Chris with us today. Chris is a very talented worship leader and music writer and musician and vocal advocate for the lost and, and the disenfranchised in the community. And I mean, he's just one of those young guys that's just about everywhere doing everything. And uh, we, we want to pick his brain and get some of his thoughts today. And, and, and so, Chris, we welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be a part of what you're doing in the community, and just thanks for allowing me to uh, – uh, uh, thanks for sharing your platform with me and just allowing me to be a part of what's going on here. Well, folks, I just I being a great treat. Um, uh, Chris has a lot to offer. I, I hear a lot about him, and, and he's doing a lot of traveling and different things in the music uh, venue and – uh, also, he's very expressive with his writings. Uh, sometimes you ever look at his Facebook page and see those things that are uh, appearing there, those thoughtful phrases and of frustration and what's happening uh, in our society at this time. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came into the, this world of music and expression. And, uh, you know, just tell us about your life in general. Sure, man. Well, I'm a son of a PK, uh, for those who don't know what that is. That's a pastor's kid. Uh, my father, uh, Bishop Arthur House, uh, the late Bishop Arthur House, he died about 2010. Uh, my mom is now pastoring the church, open door full gospel. But I was born into, uh, I was born a PK, so my dad was pastoring a church when I was born. So been in church uh, literally my whole life. I was born on a on a Saturday and I was in church on Sunday. Uh, it <laughs> happened that fast for me. Um, so uh, I grew up in church all the time. You know, my father being a pastor, um, you know, you're there for every meeting, the first ones, to le- first ones to arrive, always the last ones to leave. Um, and so at that, you know, being young, you know, you, you don't have, your attention span is very short. So I gravitated towards playing music, you know, during the mu- during the meetings I could go in the sanctuary and, play drums and play on the keyboard, play the organ and do whatever, you know, to, to waste time. But um, it developed to be a, a real passion of mine. And uh, that's how I really got into the music uh, side of things. But my father, well, my, my, my mom and dad both, my, my mom was, is a retired educator. So she taught special ed for a long time. Then she was a, one of the first counselors in uh, first elementary counselors in Virginia. Then she went to be, uh, she retired as a principal of Tyler Elementary there in Hampton. So my mom was in education, uh, but she was also into uh, into activism as well as my father. Uh, like I was telling you, Reverend Cheeks, my dad was the president of the Hampton branch NAACP 
for years. I remember going to those meetings uh, there at um, uh, 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 what's the name of the church? Uh, Bethel AME there in Hampton. On uh, and those those meetings were on Monday nights. I always remember those. Uh, so I was always a part of that. The voter registration. Um, all those things. Now, I was born in 1980, so I came up in the era when Jesse Jackson was running for president. All of that. So I was, I was one of those. I was a part of that. So um, going to the courthouse with my dad, watching, listening to court cases. Um, so that's the, the music side, and I guess the the social activism side. That's how I was. I was literally born into both of them. So I guess everything is coming around full circle now. <laughs> Yeah, it's all coming on, on your shoulders and, and broad enough shoulders to carry it. Uh, how did that? Yeah, did, definitely. Your music background. Uh, uh, how did that? I guess uh, weave into the social activism that that you are uh, that you're working on now. Yeah, well, uh, music is music is a powerful uh, um, thing that we have in the world. I've always said that music is the greatest. Um, of the arts, it's it's the greatest. It's it's a universal language, and it's the greatest of the arts. Um, you can go in any any arena, any atmosphere, and if there's music playing, there's going to be some type of of, of unifying substance there. Uh, music is used to gather people. It's also used to express the thoughts of people in a way that um, is different than just regular speech. So music being an art, it's a form of expression. And people have always used music to express their thoughts. Um, I mean, we can look at any any genre of music, whether it be gospel, jazz, hip-hop, rap, classical, blues. It's always expressing the thoughts of whoever the musician or the singer is. And we, um, you know, of course, in the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of, uh, artists who use their musical platform to express the thoughts of the day. And uh, they use their musical platform as a way to have their voice regarding the social issues of life being heard. So um, it's kind of how I've started using my um, music, again, being a universal language, and it's a unifier. Um, you can always gather people with music. And once you get them their attention with the music, then you are always able to use that same time to um, to to voice your concerns or even to express other things that wouldn't necessarily be easily accepted or easily heard and received if music wasn't kind of like the precursor. Uh, so um, that's kind of how I'm doing it now. Um, I just I always wanted to be a, a drummer. I I thought I was just going to be a drummer touring the world, going on mm. tour, living out of a suitcase for the rest of my life. That's what I wanted to do. I was okay. um, I'm still fascinated by live live shows and stuff. So I just wanted to be a drummer. But um, uh, to make a long story short, I was playing drums at my parents' church, and the guy that was our minister of music, he um, didn't show up one Sunday. So I had to jump on the keyboard and get us through that service. Um, but from that day, I, we haven't, I haven't seen them since, and that's been over 15 years ago. Uh, this happened when I was at Hampton University. So I literally was thrown into um, kind of playing and singing in front of people. But, um, again, I, I just developed a passion for it, and the Lord gave me a grace to be able to actually lead worship, singing and playing at the same time. So yeah, it just a passion grew from that to learn how to play other instruments, um, and to the point that uh, now, again, we're getting to me leading, being a worship leader. You know, I thought, okay, hey, I'm, okay, I'm not going to be a drummer the rest of my life. You know, I play multiple instruments. So I guess, okay, so now I'm going to be a worship leader, and that's going to be my, you know, that's what he's called me to do. But here in the last probably uh, five or six years, I've seen that um, my music is not, um, my, my music is a vehicle. Um, that's taking me to the destination of um, being a person that speaks out for social injustices and, uh, you know, just racism, things and things of that sort. But I'm able to use music to do it. And um, so especially with where I serve now, the City Life Church, 
it's a multicultural church. So there aren't people. It's not a church that is all black people. It's not all white people. It's not all Hispanics. There's a good mixture of everything. So um, me being the the guy that leads worship and kind of drives the musical uh, train, you got to be aware of what's going on in the lives of people. So you have to, um, you can't just sing one style of music. You got to be well diverse in music. And just like I need to be diverse in music, I've got to be diverse in my relationships with people that I know and people that I call, you know, friends and family, especially in a time, uh, especially in a country like America in a time that we're living in now where there's so much diversity. Uh, and I think uh, diversity, diversity is what makes uh, is what makes America great and what makes the human race great. Not just being. Um, I don't think anybody wants to go anywhere where everybody looks like them, everybody sounds like them, everybody dresses like them, everybody eats the same thing. You want to go somewhere where there's some diversity, so you have some choices, so you have you know something to break right. up, so it's not the same thing over and over and over. And, um, you know, with me leading worship, it's allowed me to bring people together from all kind of walks of life, different colors, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, um, you know, but our focus is always on one thing, and that's for Jesus to be glorified and for him to be magnified. That's our central focus. Now, we may have different methods or even different preferences of how we do it, but we're able to compromise and we're able to celebrate each other's differences uh, for the sake of the common goal of people being drawn to Jesus and Jesus changing their life. Okay. Well, let me take those two things. I know you started off in, in the black church. I mean, it, uh, yes. with your father. And uh, so doing those worship experiences, uh, the music uh, that, that you were playing there um, or the music or the music that, um, uh-huh. uh, that was being uh, sung in those in those churches and, and, and other black churches you've been into. Uh, what those the different styles between what you're doing now? Was what was more so in the black church? Was it more of a uh, was the music about satisfying the? I mean, like calming the soul or the spirit. Uh, whereas now um, it's, it's something totally different, where everybody from all all different. Um, Ethnic uh, backgrounds can can in, join in that particular genre because I know some churches I go into, you know, the black church can sing the song one way, and I go into a white church and I don't even recognize the, song, the same song in, in terms of right. tempo, et cetera, et cetera. So how does how how did that affect in terms of your transition in, and what did you find uh, in terms of, of both of both uh, settings? Oh, well, actually, um, I think that's, again, going back to what I was saying, that's just the beauty of music. Um, We can all interpret it in our own way, and that's what makes it so beautiful that it doesn't have to be one way when it comes with music. Um, So like you're saying, you know, a black church can do a song, and you can go to a a white church or or a Hispanic church, and it'll sound totally different. But the the message is still the same. Just the method has changed. But as far as the style of music, I mean, you know, every, we have to understand when it comes to gospel music, um, which is majority of the music that's sung in most black churches is gospel music. Well, uh, we've got to understand the origin of gospel music. Um, gospel music uh, comes from a place of um, it was it was uh, it was originated or had its strong roots, uh, you know, back in slavery. So, you know, with black people being oppressed, a lot of them, they use music to help lift their spirits. So a lot of the gospel songs were songs of, uh, of, of freedom and uh, coming out and being released and, um, you know, uh, songs like, you know, coming up the rough side of the mountain, you know, talking about the struggle, but ultimately singing their way through the struggle, hopefully, to see the promised land. So um, that's why a lot of our gospel music sometimes is is centered, is focused on us and what our needs are. And other forms of Christian music 
um, which is kind of we kind of look say it like this. Sometimes music can be horizontal, uh, which is you know just us face to face, just operating on a human level, just side to side. But some music is vertical, and um, you know it talks about our issues, but you know vertical being up and down. It's always looking to God and always looking to heaven and talking to God and having him talk to us instead of just our music talking about our struggle, and that's it. Uh, so sometimes, um, you know, getting people to understand that is sometimes difficult um, because it's not saying that talking about the struggle isn't necessary. Definitely necessary to talk about the struggle. Definitely necessary to um, to be excited about uh, being free and expressing your freedom in God and um, being able to celebrate the blessings that he's given us. However, I think it would be selfish of us to just talk about what we need and not ever sing any songs that talk about him or that talk about us looking to him and just thanking him for who he is and not necessarily for what he can do for us. So sometimes gospel music, because of its origination, because of its origin, again, uh, coming from, you know, slaves, everything was about, hey, I just need to get through this. I need God to bring me out. I need God to bring me out. I just need to get better. I need I need my blessing. I need to come out with my hands up, all of that. Because that's its origin, sometimes uh, when people that are fluent in gospel music and in other forms of Christian music try to merge the two, sometimes people can be, I guess, offended or feel like, you know, you're selling out or you're forgetting your heritage. But it's it's not about forgetting heritage. It's about um, adding on to what you already know. Um, I talked to, um, you know, I have friends that lead in multicultural churches and uh, uh, black guys who lead in multicultural churches, and we catch a lot of flack from even our own people because they feel like, you know, we've left our heritage and we've left, you know, what's brought us in our foundation. And we always look at it like this. I think it, it would be better for me if I was uh, a builder of a building, we're all trying to build a building. Um, it would it wouldn't make sense for me to come, and I'm a builder, and I only have the only tool that I use is a hammer. Because if it calls for me to use a screw, I can't screw in a screw with a hammer. I need a screwdriver. That doesn't lessen the effects or the importance of the hammer because the hammer is needed for the nail, but the hammer isn't needed for a screwdriver unless you want to damage the screw. So having multiple, uh, so I, I use that to say, yes, I have the hammer of the foundation of gospel music, but I also, when it's time for me to use a screwdriver, when it comes to maybe singing in a Hispanic church, I know how to do that. When it comes to me, I may need a saw, when I go to a Caucasian church, because I got to cut wood. You can't cut wood with a hammer. You can smash it, but you can't cut it. So <laughs> I have different tools. I have different tools in my tool belt, and that doesn't make that doesn't make me that doesn't say that either one of those tools is greater or better than the other one. They're just used for different times and for different methods. So that's how I look at it when it comes to gospel music and um, what we abbreviate CCM which stands for Christian Contemporary Music uh, or Worship Music. That's another name of it. When it comes to, I don't like to compare the two, but when, when you compare the two, that's how I compare it. Um, you know, I, I'm able to be well-versed in both genres because I know that my assignment is not to one type of person. Um, and also, I mean, hey, man, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a black side. It's not going to be a white side. It's not going to be a Pentecostal side. It's not going to be a Baptist side. We're all going to be together worshiping one person and one God. So, um, you know, we pray the model prayer, uh, let it be as in heaven, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. So if we pray for all of that, then that's all inclusive. So if we're all worshiping God together in heaven, why can't we all worship him here on the earth all together at the same time? So that's my take on that. <laughs> yeah, but the struggle continues on here, um, uh, re realizing that that day of glory at, at some point in our lives. But, you know, 
de- dealing with and, and going through that transition with the um, the, the many churches and, and bodies of believers that um, where your music is, is expressed. What what how do you how do you focus on how do, how do people gravitate towards something? I understand what you said about the sellout part. But I'm gonna revisit that in a minute because. Uh, it seems that it would be some gap there, and I understand the screwdriver, the hammer, uh, the, the analogy there, but uh, taking that vertical uh, into a horizontal mix in the black church, how how is the adaptation there? Do they adapt to it? Well, I think when it comes to, you know, we talk about church, I think you got to teach what worship really is, and if people understand what what worship is and that worship does not mean music. You know, mm-hmm. um, worship isn't, isn't about music. Music is a part of worship, but it's not the whole thing. You know, how you live, even your giving is a part of worship. So when people are taught what worship is, they aren't so focused, again, on the message. They're focused what do you on mean the taught? message. What do, you mean, what do you mean taught when the people are taught when people are one are taught what real worship is, meaning frankly that they aren't taught that worship means music, and that all of their knowledge of worship isn't just music. You're taught, you know, why you worship, what does it mean to worship, how do I worship? Um, you know, like I was saying, your giving is a part of your worship. How you treat your neighbors, how you treat your wife, how you treat your family—that's a part of worship. Um, that's a part of your worship, but corporately, you know, we use music, and we think when we say worship, people normally equate it to music, and that's not right. necessarily the case. So when people are taught that it's not just about music, then their focus is changed, and the attention is not on the music; it's about the thing that they are worshiping, which is God. And you know, there are times when. Um, Different times call for different things, and if you really worshiping in spirit and in truth, your heart's desire is to please God. So there are times when God may desire strings and a guitar for that mm-hmm. moment because right. He's saying something through the strings and the guitar. Then there are moments when He's saying something through the Hammond organ and the tambourine. You know, so it so you have to understand, but that all comes in forming a relationship with God, knowing His voice, knowing knowing His spirit, know how He shifts and how He moves. Again, going back to being taught about what real worship and true worship is. Once people know that, then they aren't so focused on just the musical aspect, and that's very hard um, to do because most people have been taught for generations right. that. You know, worship is music-oriented, is music-based. So just getting people out of that mindset is a struggle in itself. But it's necessary for us to be able to unify and for us to be able to, you know, really have true God encounters when we aren't focused on the music. We aren't focused on the method, but more so the message is the focus. Well, we need need to re-record that and put that out and and – and big <laughs> red lights all over the place on billboards. Uh, going back to uh, what you were speaking about uh, of being a sellout, because I think I heard you and uh, gosh, I can't remember his name at the moment. Brian uh, Freedom. Brian, Brian Green. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brian. Talk about that subject in terms of folks uh, focusing on you as being a sellout to the traditional yeah. black worship. And um, but I mean. Take that as a, a badge of honor, though. Uh, I, I will say that because, you know, even during the civil rights struggle back in, in my day, um, even King and, and Bond and oh, yes. all the others were chastised for the same reason within their own race, too. But tell me a little bit more about that. How that does it affect you in, in any way, or have you just looked at it as people being, um, uh, I don't know, either they're ignorant to, the facts, or they're just looking for an excuse for something? Yeah. Um, it doesn't – it it never really affected me to the point that I wanted to stop, but it mm-hmm. did affect me to the point that I wanted to know why they were really so upset. And what I came to realize is that people often fight 
and resist things that they don't understand, one, and things that they don't know how to do. They're almost, it's almost like they're intimidated. You know, if, if, if all I, again, going back to the hammer and the screw situation, screwdriver, if all I've ever used my whole life is a hammer and you come along and you have a hammer and you got a screwdriver and a saw, now I'm almost jealous and intimidated by what you have. And instead of me asking, hey, how do you use that screwdriver? Hey, how do you use that saw? I just keep with my hammer and saying, well, if you don't use a hammer, then you're not really a, 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 a contract. You're not really a contractor. You're not really a builder of buildings because you don't use a hammer. You know, how, how, how crazy does that sound? So I think that that's what we've come to is that uh, people want things that they don't understand. They resist, and they resist it by being intimidated by it instead of trying to gain understanding. Um, because I think that, well, I know that there are things that, 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 uh, there are, I'm, I'm, I'll make it simple and plain. I mean, since we're talking black and white, there are things mm-hmm. that, that, that the black church needs that the white church does, and there are things that mm-hmm. the white church does and that the black church needs as well. It's vice versa. We both need right. each other. So when it comes to style of music, both are needed, but you just have to know what atmosphere calls for what. And both can be mixed, and it can be done very well. I know um, a church that does it very well, uh, Rob Parsley, World Harvest in Columbus, Ohio. They right. do it very, they do it very, very well. I mean, they'll do all types of music all in one service, and they have white people on stage, black people, Mexican, Hispanic. It looks like the way that heaven is going to look. The pastoral staff. You know, of course, Rob Parsley is white, but he has, you know, black people that are in key leadership roles in the right. in the pastoral staff. So, um, I just said that to say I think there are things that both that both uh, cultures need, um, and when it comes to music, it's it's the same way. So, uh, yeah, I just said like to say I, I think it's just people are intimidated; they they don't understand it, and they may not be able to um, skillful. They don't feel like they're skillful enough to be able to ha- to do multiple styles of music. So instead of embracing it and celebrating, they they try to, um, you know, hold theirs higher than the others. And it just makes them look insecure. It just shows their insecurity. And at some point, you know, you have to be mature enough to say, all right, um, I'm not going to be immature and fight you over a style of music. I mean, how crazy is that? Like we both believe in God and we believe you know, in the same God, but we're going to have disputes and grudges over how we express our love for God. Like, that's silly. And that's a waste of time. <laughs> well, you, but then it, it gets somebody, somebody we both know always says to me, um, uh, I'm, I'm even after, after they ask the question and went to some of the discussions we have that are those folks even saved? Because a lot of times we say we worship the same God, but are we truly worship the same God? Because if we are worshiping the same God, then none of that makes a difference. We're not pointing fingers at one another. Um, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it all goes back to to what's to education and to what's what's being taught to people, um, and what's what they're being taught, what they take from that, and how they build their relationship with God, and how they are mature in their walk with, with, with God. Um, you know, the immature in their walk with God is going to, you know, show in multiple areas of their life. One right. being, you know, intimidated by other people's gifts or not being willing to um, to try to understand things that they don't know. So, yeah, unfortunately, well, well, we I, have a lot of people that are like that. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the nature of the beast, so... Um... Yeah, it's something we, but you know, we still need to further conversation. You know, I would be uh, really interested in sitting down with some of those folks who say those types of things and being able to to really get to get to the the you know delve into why they are saying these things and what, what's supporting their their beliefs and background. But a lot of it at, at times is just talk that's coming from some other places and they're just co-signing. Um, oh yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but um, 
how does your advocacy, your social justice advocacy, play into the the, the music that's playing? I know you you're speaking of it's the worship piece, and in the same time with the uh, with the other piece, people dealing with you know going back to self, you know, if I can just make it through this day, kind of thing. Um, uh, right. And 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 then going to the church and doing your worship there in a multicultural church. How? What is? Is there any blowback from your, you know, some of your writings and some of the other things that you do, uh, that that kind of blind people to what you're trying to do in terms of leading the service, the worship service, um, the um, the praise and worship or whatever portion right. that is. Uh, I mean, there, do people look at you in a, in a different light at that point? There have there have been some, but the mm-hmm. ones that have, they have other issues that, okay. and they're just looking for, they they they're just looking for, I guess, a scapegoat, you know, right. something to blame it on. But once you, you know, really do research and find out, you say, oh, okay, this really isn't about that. You just wanted to use that as a way to, you know, as a way to walk in offense. But honestly, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it's actually uh, it's actually opened a lot of doors for conversation. Um, and the doors for conversation both ways. Um, people who are who agree with what you with what I said, and those who not necessarily don't agree but are unsure about something. Um, I always feel that um, you know the posts that I make, the things that I say are are always to raise awareness. It's never, I try to be very intentional about not, um, about not, about trying not to, um, I don't know what what the word is, but to be, I guess, antagonistic or to be argumentative. It's never to start an argument. It's always to start a discussion. Right. And I think there there's a difference between people arguing and people discussing. Um, so it's always and it's always you all it's always got to come from a place of of it, it's always got to come place from from a place of God centered love. Because um, right. the the end result is you know we want people to come together, but we want them to come together, especially knowing you know the love of Jesus Christ and the way that we the way that we deal with adversity or the way that we deal with confrontation isn't the way that the world deals with it. You know, we deal with it from a different perspective. So I always have to be cognizant of that when I say the things that I say. Is that easy? Of course not, because there are plenty of times. I mean, I can tell you plenty of my statuses that you've seen, you know, that may be only three sentences. It's taken me three hours to say those three sentences in a way that's not going to be Oh, it's not going to come off as that. I'm just trying to be the militant, angry black guy. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, bashful in what I'm trying to say, but how I say it has to be well thought out because, again, you want the end result to be, you know, a discussion. Um, you want people to think. You want people to do their own research. You want people to find out the truth, and you're not going to do that by bashing people and just letting off steam like that doesn't do any that doesn't create a, any positive result um so yeah i mean there are some things that um i have <laughs> my dad uh going back to my dad with social justice my dad um my dad was an agitator but it wasn't an agitator to the point of um you know person like agitating to the point of i'm trying to harm you or i want you to feel feel less about yourself is necessarily just agitating your comfort zone for you to think about something in a different way. So because I'm my father's seed, of course, a little bit of that has rubbed off on me. So I know that in my raising awareness, it is going to agitate, but agitation isn't always bad. Um, You know, sometimes agitation is good when you shake things up a little bit, but always doing it with love and always being open having the conversation of why you're agitated and what you are trying to accomplish. So it's actually been very good. And uh, people have even, 
um, been able to see more of who I am and understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, even in leading worship through what they see in my post about social injustice and social action. The word agitate, because Jesus was an agitator. Um, yes, he was. He definitely <laughs> um, was. <laughs> yeah. I have a phrase that I always say. I talk to agitate, organize. Agitate. Organize, right. Yep. Because you know, I, I I remember times back during the civil rights era, and uh, I remember all the hymns, and uh, especially the ones that were sung before we were and and we were met with violence and some other things. Uh, but it was, but then it became very vertical uh, as we went through it. Even the same, thing, it was. Like, you seem to be going. Uh, you you going in and out. Back during the day when we were doing the civil rights uh, marches and et cetera, that, yeah. um, often we would pray those same hymns that you were talking about that uh, that came out of slavery times. Uh, and yeah. it wasn't all horizontal at that time because when we would go out into the street, we would be, uh, that, before we went out there singing those hymns and praying, it was, um, became more vertical then because we were asking God to to cover right. and have that relationship with us. So it, there was harm uh, by exercising uh, our voice to uh, to to social and biblical justice, basically, um, yeah. and, and to and to get that perspective and that dialogue going. Uh, but I noticed a statement that you wrote which kind of got my interest and I'm, I'm going to read it for the audience here. It says the oppressed and mistreated compromise yet are still met with opposition, hate and misunderstanding. The oppressed and yeah. mistreated compromise yet are still met with opposition, hate and misunderstanding. You wrote that statement. What were you, what were you thinking about? What was on your mind at the time? Well, what was on my? I can't even remember when. I mean, well, everything still be. Everything is all related. I just right. uh, what I mean by that is uh, the oppressed are always the one are far too often the ones that have to uh, compromise and have to be um, cognizant and aware of how they are expressing their dissatisfaction with being oppressed. Um, you know, you're as an oppressed person, how you show your oppress how you show your frustration is always scrutinized. What you say to express it is all is oftentimes taken out of context. Um what you do is often criticized. And then you you know from the oppressor the oppressor says well you shouldn't do it that way and then you say okay I'm gonna go back to the drawing board and I'll compromise I'll say it this way or I'll do this instead or I won't do this anymore you know so that you'll listen to what I'm saying and then we do that and we come back and still are met with the same hate the same aggression the same ridicule and the same oppression and um, I just think that it's unfair that we live in a society where people are the when people who are abused have to constantly um, take the back seat or always they have to be the the ones that are forced to be to always have to play the to always have to be the bigger person and of course biblically I know that that's what we're called to do. Um, right. You know, we're called to forgive our trespasses and forgive our debtors as they trespass against us. I understand that um, you have to show grace and show forgiveness. But at what point are, and really that statement, it was that fold and it was twofold. At one point, at what point are the majority going to start speaking up for the minority? Hmm. Far too hmm. often, I believe that, I believe that a lot of our, uh, division in this country could be 
could be, uh, I don't want to say eradicated, but it could be, things could really turn around for the better for this country if people who are in the majority would start calling out other people in the majority who who aren't doing things correctly and if the majority would start speaking up for the minority. I think things would change a lot more, a lot faster and a lot easier. But instead, the majority at the end of the day is going to be the majority, and they're only going to go but so far to maintain their status of majority. That's just my opinion. But I think that we need, that the, we need the majority. I'll say that. We need the majority to speak up for the minority so that way things can change and we can be, we can be on a level playing field. I think in, in, in this situation in America, black people aren't asking for a, a, an advantage. We aren't asking for uh, a hookup. We aren't asking to be the supreme. We aren't asking to be number one. All we want is a level playing field. Let us all play from the same ground, same rules, same expectations, same consequences, same rewards. We just want a level playing field. And until the majority speaks up for the minority um, and the oppressed isn't always asked to always compromise their feelings and their expression and what they are going through, I think we're going to keep going around this revolving door of seeing oppressed people always having to be the bigger person and still not getting any results here on earth. Cause we know, I mean, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a totally different story, but here on earth, we aren't getting the results that we desire because even when you compromise, it's still met with where you should have compromised a different way or, or even, you know, it's like, you aren't able to really express your true feelings because of intimidation or fear of backlash, fear of losing your job, fear of your family being, you know, hurt or killed because of what you're saying. So that's what I meant by all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I understand. You know, it you know, reminds me of something someone said before. I keep walking backwards and see where I'm going then. Eventually, I'm going to fall in a hole. So when you uh, right. always give it in and compromise, I mean, there's no step forward. It's, it's, you're, you're just exactly. continually going backwards into a hole. And, and I see that in the work that we do, even in terms of uh, dealing with class and, and uh, classism. And also, even in looking at the church, the church has or should be that focal point that leads. But at all times, uh, I see then things are not done because uh, I know it's the right thing to do, which is said at times, but I just can't do it to maintain my base. Um, right. And so, so, so and then, uh, and phone is breaking up. Life. Again, oh, it, to hear what you're saying. Okay, it may it may uh, come to the point where people say, uh, especially folks in the majority in the church, say, uh, know what I'm doing is not right. Uh, I need to to do this in order to maintain my base or my lifestyle with this job as head of this church or organization, this Christian organization. I I've got to do things differently or maintain the old. Uh, which which is uh, antique and uh, something that's not going to allow for change. They just be, continually become a museum and and not right. something that evolves. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, so so I'm I'm looking at when, when I'm hearing what you're saying and 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 going back to there. How do we take that whole thing with worship and and not make this thing colorblind or or break the chains of colorblindness? Or is it a colorblind thing, or is it just just pure sin that we're not willing to, as as uh, people in authority, whether it be black or white, and more so the white uh, because they control a lot, uh, we're not willing to break away from that all sin and do the right thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it it all 
as far as, you know, worship, music, and how we run our services and how we do things, I think that once we are able to have conversations and get to know one another on a personal level, then those other things, the the dynamics of those things will change. It's going to be, it's easier for, um, it's easier, it's easier for, I think, I'll put it this way. I'm going to make it plain like you were saying. And let's just say, you know, there was, you have a black church and a white church and, um, they want to come together and start doing more things together. It's going to be very, it's going to be easier if the pastors have relationship with each other when they actually know who each other are and, you know, have some type of relationship and not just a business church relationship. Because if I care about, if if I know that you care about me as a person, then I know that you care about, what I have to offer as far as my skills and my gifts. I think what we've done, the disservice that we've done, we've, we've thought that if we just get everybody in the church building together, then it'll take care of itself. And that's not working, and it's not going to work. Um, because trust isn't built there. Trust isn't established there. That's a big issue. We don't trust one another. And you trust right. somebody by spending time with them, by having conversation with them by even disagreeing with them and talking through that disagreement. Trust has to be established. And and until that is established, we're just going to be having events and we're just going to be having programs saying that we're coming together, but we're really not. Because the, the, the coming together within the four walls, that should be just the culmination or the celebration of what we're doing on an everyday basis. Um, and until that happens, there's always going to be this disconnect. There's always going to be this tension of, you know, mixing black music with white music, mixing with black churches and white churches. It's always going to be that because there's no relationship and there's been no trust form. But that happens with daily conversations, with day-to-day interaction, not just Sunday mornings because, you know, it's just not going to be done in one day. you got to take time to cultivate the relationship. And out of the cultivated relationship, then all these other things can take place. But I think we're trying to put, you know, the the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart, however that goes. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I, you know, I was I was just part of a, a group, a, a, a peace circle recently uh, on racial reconciliation, and uh, one of the things, and it was uh, two black, uh, two black males, two white, I mean, two black females two white females, two white males. Um, and one of the rules was uh, that you could only talk about your experiences um, and not somebody yeah. else's or the world um, to make it real so that everybody could feel the, the pain or, or the understanding of one another and where we were. Uh, uh, one of the things that happened in that group, we ended up had to get a whole roll, big roll of toilet tissue because so many tears were flowing. Uh, and right. people were being very honest with each other. And, uh, and then, as you said, those relationships were formed. I mean, they, and they're continuing thing. Uh, because, you know, I'm a true believer, as you said, that just going to your church and my church does not make relationships. It, it, it's just an right. event. It's just a happening, and nothing happens after that. And that we need to start to go into one another's houses and, get out of our comfort yep, zone exactly. and, and, and do those things. And, and as you said, to be able to talk freely in, in, in those environments. And if we disagree, you're not kicking the person out the door, you know, so yeah, I, I agree that that's totally needed. And, but we've, we've got to get away from those things where people want to make things, um, uh, I don't know, program type. They want to make them programmatic. Yeah. You know, it takes away from the, uh-huh. the honest, the, the honest dialogue and the relationship developing. Uh, and that's that's what we need to do. I mean, we all started, uh, you know, when we first came in this world. You know, all we did was whine. I mean, we cried. You know, right. evidently somebody knew what was going on when we cried. You know, so right. I mean, somebody picked yeah. us. Did some so I mean those relationships were there so we got to go back to the basics is what I'm saying is yep. uh, yep. start there but you know 
we got a little time left. And I see you're involved in a couple of things coming up. Something coming up this Saturday that I saw that you were uh, telling yeah. people about a march. And give us a, a little bit about that. Um, it's a it's going to be a march uh, for March for Freedom. It's this it's uh, actually the, the youth ministry of the church where I serve. Um, they are a part of it, and they're marching. It's a it's a group uh, trying to pull up here. It's a group that's talking about abolishing slavery, uh, and mm-hmm. primarily uh, the, the the slavery of, of human trafficking. Um, that's become a big thing, not just in the world, but even here in the United States. Uh, human trafficking has become like one of the biggest, the largest, one of the largest crimes that's going on right here in America that many right people are, yeah. are are oblivious to. They they have no clue. Um, yeah. So the march is going to be held. It's going to be in Williamsburg, um, and it's it's not going to be a long march, but it's just something that you know for people to, of all walks of life to come together and stand united uh, for something such so huge as you know. Abolishing slavery. So the one of the the motto is abolishing slavery with each step. So with each mm, step okay. that we take, um, we're going to be um, though that's going to be our effort to help abolish slavery. So there are other parts of that program, but the march is what's going on. It's like a national march. So there are going to be marches all over the country uh, on October fourteenth. Uh, okay. The walk for freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well. You know. Uh, uh, sex trafficking, human slavery is is really huge in this area. We're one of the, yeah. I hate to say yeah, it, yeah. one of the leading areas in Virginia. Um, exactly. Uh, in that context. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one, so one many of the things people was, don't even know. No, well, you know, Chris. Even though I, I say, yeah, right. Some of them don't know, but then you know, I was approached by one of the groups that deals with it, uh, or a couple of groups, and they said we're having a hard time getting into churches. It's something they don't want to know about. And, wow. You know, and yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, I was blown away, wow. and they started telling me some of the stories, and so then I started approaching some folks uh, in some churches, and uh, it's not something they want to deal with. And I, some, I was told um, some things I won't talk about now on air, but um, but I, you know, I just don't understand the blindness. It, it goes again right. to the whole control issue. I mean, it just. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to control what the people hear. I'm going to control how they worship. I'm going to control yeah. everything about them. You know, so uh, so yeah. I mean, it's almost like keeping us separate from issues and things that we need to be it, talking about. You know, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So so what what's your next step in terms of? Because I'm gonna ask you a real hard question in a minute, but uh, uh, in terms of where's Chris, where's Chris going with his music career? Well, I mean, I'm you know still writing for people and doing my own uh, my own music, uh, writing for an, another uh, project album that hopefully I'll you know start working on in 2018 of, of my own original music. And it's been about almost four four years since I released my first album. Uh, so just doing that, uh, but more so, um, you know, I just really feel just like we when I when we first started. Uh, today and just feel like the the pull and the call of my life is to be a bridge. Um, so I'm I'm very intentional about leading worship in multicultural settings and really being a a, a champion of that of that effort um, and just being one of the faces for that. So that's really my my focus is just um, whenever I go lead worship, I want it. I want to lead worship where everybody doesn't look like me. And if mm. everybody is going to look like me, I'm going to bring some people with me that don't look like me. Um, because I believe, when, again, man, just when we all get together and when we all lift up our unique, different sound to God, it just does something. Uh, it, it just pleases his heart to see us, yeah. to see that we're able to lay down our preferences and just focus on him in our own individual way. Um, I think our diversity should be celebrated. And, and, and what better way to celebrate it than through music and through music that glorifies God. So that's pretty much what my my next steps are musically are. But you answered my question. I didn't have to ask, ask it. So um, 
I, I won't even put it out there on the table, but I guess the, the expectation I had is you were going to answer it that way uh, in terms of multicultural worship and, and be that, that force that drives that and, and to and promote it in this area and wherever you go. Uh, but, you know, if you had a magic wand, uh, so to speak, and you could uh, do something to drive the conversation, to bring people together, uh, what would that one thing be, uh, or how would you want to do that? How would you want to see that happen? Say that again. Pose the question again. If it was, if it was one thing, go ahead. If it was one thing that you could do to to bring people together, to drive a conversation, to to get people to talk to one another, to to start a, a meaningful relationship, a meaningful one, not just a relationship. Uh, what would you? How would you see that happening? Yeah, that is a hard question because it's. I don't. I don't know if there's one particular way that it could happen. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, how could it happen? Uh, well, I definitely wouldn't be able to do it by myself. Um, mm-hmm. Would definitely have to have help from from. I don't want to say both sides because that's kind of creating a sense of division. But it has has to be some some united effort from you know different parties involved. Uh, but I would like to see something in this in the city. I would like to see a um, see one of the majority um a prominent church that carries the the majority demographic of the city i would love to see them uh be willing to organize or even host and spearhead a some type of uh yearly um event that of course would be that have worship music be a part of it uh, maybe a concert again to bring everybody together, uh, but um, not just a concert, but even maybe have a weekend where that same church hosts panel discussions about you know uh, about racial reconciliation. But it would be something that a, a, a larger church that has a lot of influence would be able to spearhead that way it would show that it's a concern and that it's something that, that people really, really want to see have happen. Uh, so that would be my, I guess, one thing that I would try to do if I could. Well, you've got your assignment. You just spoke it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so I exactly. think you better get busy. I think you better get busy because uh, 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 I think it's a, a worthwhile one. I think it's achievable. Uh, and I think your generation has to be that generation that causes that to happen uh, because uh, you, right. you all are the movers and shakers at the moment. So, uh, unfortunately, it would take too long to uh, train some of the old dogs to new tricks. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, uh, so anyway, look, look forward to the things you have going in the future, Chris. It's been a great conversation today. Uh, I'm sure the audience um, – got a lot from it and we, we just look forward to better and bigger things coming from Chris House and Chris House and <laughs> company Chris House and company leading the way in the future yeah, so. yes, thanks sir. again I, I, I appreciate I appreciate it man. thank you thank you yeah have, have a blessed alright you too thank you for tuning in to Front Porch Conversation on Justice for this week uh, we'll see you again next week for an equally exciting and informative show. This has been Charles Tika Guest, and we thank you for listening in. Have a good day. Bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.